Our gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for your love and your patience, your mercy and your grace. Father, just the utterance of any one of those words as we know them to describe your heart towards us, your love towards us, the gift that we have in Christ our Lord and Savior. We are certainly pressed in heart to just stop and ponder and think long. And I pray, Father, that we often do. Thank you for being a good father. Thank you, Lord, for being there always with us. You are our strength. You are our sustainer. Father, you are every hope and our every joy is wrapped up in you. And I pray, Father, that you would um, open all of our hearts this morning as we look into your word, that your word would speak clearly and loudly and surely to our hearts that we might know more and more and more of you. We ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, this morning I want to share with you out of the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now that may not sound like a lot, but it is. And, um, and I have to apologize for some whatever. I, uh, I'm a bit anxious this morning, and I shouldn't be. And um, so, as my heart rate comes down, I, um, I guess the thing that I feel most desirous about this morning is that all of you come, this is, this is just one small time a week that we get to come together. I, uh, I did the math, y'all, it's 1.2% of our day, of our week, we're here rejoicing and worshiping and loving together our Lord and Savior. That's not a lot of time. And this is my ultimate prayer and desire for all of us, is that we leave here and we have made much of the Father today. Not just so much so that we carry it with us. And... Um, then I know we're looking at his word in the in a, in a right way, with the right posture of our heart. That we go out and we, we were just awed by our Lord. Not by facts, but by his presence in our heart, the work and, and how he moves within us, and, and, and who he is to us, and all that he brings to us as his children. So I want to start. You can hold your place there in Romans chapter 12, but I want to read a verse that stirred my heart to go to Romans chapter 12, and that's in Matthew 11, verse 29 and 30. A couple of my brothers that we do discipleship with, we spent a long time on this verse, and we're just amazed by it, but here's the verse. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And this part is I especially love. Jesus says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, 
Pastor, who does that not sound wonderful to? My yoke is easy. We've got to put it on our neck. And he says to us, it's easy. And my burden is light. And this speaks of believers who know their Lord so well that they, they are owned by their Lord. You know who owns me? My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he owns me. Paul reminded the Corinthians, he said, you're bought with a price. He said, don't you know this? You have to read the whole book to put it in the full context. But don't you know that you have been paid for and bought with a price? You're not your own. I like that. I like that. I'm not my own. I'm his. Bought and paid for. I like living my life that way. Sometimes I step out of it. Sometimes I step out of it and try to control things myself, but I like living my life that way. And as I thought about that verse, and my heart just turned to Romans chapter 12, and I just camped out there for, the, for a long time, actually. Um, maybe from the last time I had a chance to share God's word with you. And... Uh, what I liked about this, and let me just read the text, and we'll begin here. Paul says to the Romans, now, uh, in, in verses chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says to the Romans, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, all my life, I think I've heard this passage preached on, maybe as well you have, so many times. Read commentaries on this, heard it preached on. Many times, but often I, I, I've gotten it like you have. It's like these two verses lifted up and delivered. And I read this, this season of my life, and I find the most important word in here. When I read these two verses together, the most important word to me is it says, therefore. Just that word. That word gave, gave me a lot of work to do in the past several weeks. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. If the book of Romans were divided, this would be a dividing place. You might have book 1, chapter 11, through chapter 1 through chapter 11. And then book 2 would take it from chapter 12 to the end. Something starting here. He begins his, his application appeal to the Christians at Rome. And, wow, does he have a lot to share. And one of the things that I want to, to, to do here for my first point is I feel as if the Apostle Paul were here with us, he would say, don't start there. I said, therefore, make sure this is concurrent in everybody's heart and mind, what I'm talking about when I say therefore. So that means that we need to have some, make some acknowledgement of the first 11 chapters. And, and um, of, of course, it's too rich for us to do. But I wanted to just bring forth a few things that, you're would, that you would find if you studied Romans at the beginning of chapter 1 and uh, went through chapter 11. And one of the things that you would read and find out in this book was that 
God's wrath on the unrighteous. I've heard a lot of people refer to the first three chapters in the book of Romans when they're citing a particular uh, sin, a particular weakness in someone, and, and they say, you know, God says right here in the uh, book of Romans chapter 2, uh, and he makes it clear about what he feels about this sin and that sin, and they use it to pass a judgment on certain sinful people, certain immoral, ungodly people. I suppose maybe feeling a little bit self-righteous as they do it. I don't know. Yeah, I do know. They do feel self-righteous as they do it. But here's the thing. If you do a careful reading of this, what you find out is that God's wrath is poured out on all unrighteous. And who are they? Who are they? Look around. It's all of us. It's every human being that ever walked on the face of the earth are the unrighteous that are spoken of here in which the wrath of God is poured out on them. There is not a target group here. It's all humanity. And so Paul makes this statement very carefully. If I haven't said enough about it, or you can't recall enough, go through and begin studying the book of Romans and see it. It's very important. The condemnation of all people because of any and every kind of sin, the wrath of God falls on them, on us, all of us. Another important tenet in these 11 chapters is God's righteous judgment. He's just. He's a just God in the wrath that he has toward wickedness and toward unrighteousness. We, are, we have all become like one who's unclean. All of our righteousnesses are, are, are polluted. They're like filthy rags in Isaiah 64. We fade like a leaf and our iniquities are like the wind. They take us away. We're all sinners. Romans chapter 3, I want to read just a brief thing there as we look and review some of these things. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10 says, As it is written, none is righteous. Look how emphatic this is. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They're, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are like swift to sh their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is his description of of, of all of us. We, as we stand, ourselves, this is our description. Nobody seeks after God. Really? You think to yourself, I, I, I'm seeking after God. We'll get, to, we'll get to that later. But as you are, and as I am, none of us seek after God. A third thing. that I think is interesting in these chapters that we have to have a, a mindset towards is that Paul teaches and builds and, and the arguments for understanding God and his work in our lives. And he said that um, we are justified by faith. All of the guilt that we accumulate to ourselves because of our unrighteousness 
can be, can be um, managed, can be eradicated, can be done away with, we can stand before our holy God justified by faith. And Paul does a very enormous work here in putting this forth and making this teaching clear. We can be justified by faith. And, he, and once more, he says, this isn't a new thing. It's not a new thing at all. This, Abraham was justified by faith. An Old Testament patriarch, and he's not the only one. They all were justified by faith. Those who were believers, those who loved God and surrendered themselves and gave themselves to God were justified by their faith. So he teaches this. Okay? Another thing. And this probably takes two and a half chapters that Paul does this in Romans. And these are Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. He talks about salvation being a sovereign work of God in the lives of his people. It is a sovereign work of God in the lives of his people. Paul even gives his own reaction when he realized this, that God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. God says, I will call those that are mine, those that were chosen, those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. I'm sovereign in all of this. I show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And Paul's reaction because of his love for his countrymen, for his brothers, his love for the Gentiles, his love for the, for the Jews, he said, of his people, of the Jews, Paul said, Oh, I would to God I could give my own life, that I could be accursed, if all Israel could be saved. That was the posture of his heart. He had a great love for him, but he realized this was a choice and a work and a power of God that was working in such a way. Been there. It's a lot there. I know, that's a lot. It's too important for us not to be understanding Romans very well. Now, here's what I find intriguing. In the beginning, in this book, Paul makes the statement. He says, um, he wants them to know, I've been trying to get to Rome for a long time. And remember, this book was written to Christians who are in Rome, believers who are in Rome. And he says... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Oh. Such was the faith of the believers in Rome that, that all over the known world at that time, people knew and heard about it. Paul had heard about it. And he, he rejoiced in it. They, were, he, he, they automatically became his brothers in the faith. So why is Paul writing such a detailed letter to people who are already believers? Maybe we think he was going to write to heathens or, or uh, non-believers, backslidden people. I don't know. He could have written, we could have thinking, think that he wrote this to anyone and everyone. But to Christians, he's writing all these things, to those who, are, who own the Lord as their Savior, as their merciful and loving Father. He, he writes to them. Why does he write to them? Is a good question for us to ask to ourselves. Why is he detailing this out? 
He doesn't want them to get it wrong. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of some things. It's important, and I need to share this with you. So he writes these things. So back to the text in Romans chapter 12, where he goes from here. He says, I appeal, I make this, I beseech you, in the King James Version, says, I beseech you, I make this earnest appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I think there's a lot said right there. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. The mercies that he's talking about, that he has talked about in chapter 9 and chapter 11. I am appealing to you on this. He, he is not appealing to them based on your works. I'm not appealing to you because you're a hard-working person. You serve so well. I'm not appealing to you based on works. I'm not appealing to you based on your philosophies of life, your compassionate heart, your tenderness. I'm not appealing to you on any level. I'm appealing to you, Paul says, on the mercies of God who works these things in his children. Wow. based on, not on the moral state of mankind, but it's based on the, the mercies of God. It's based on his will. He, one of the things that the therefore reflects back to right at the end of chapter 11 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a, a gift to him that he might be repaid? Nobody, God doesn't seek you and I for, for counsel. He's a, he's, he is who he is. He is the I am. So Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers in Rome, sisters in Rome, whose faith I've heard about, who many have heard about. I appeal to you on the mercies of God. Now, why is he doing this? Why is he starting seemingly here at the beginning? You know, have you ever had, have you ever had an opportunity in life where someone just comes up to you and Maybe you've been a believer for a long, long time. And someone comes up to you and starts sharing the gospel. I love it, actually. <laughs> I get quiet and I just listen because I like the story. And I want to let this brother have an opportunity to share. And, and it stirs his heart. It stirs my heart. But here are a similar thing going on. These people know God, but Paul is finding it very important to detail so much theology so much of the word of God and the way of God and how God works. And he's, he's putting this in word before them. And why is he doing this? And here's what I, this is what I'm seeing here as I read the text. The Apostle Paul wants them to understand what is working in your life. What is happening inside your life? What is going on in your heart? And he wants them to be aware of this. important to see how God's functioning in our lives. It's important for, for us to see as we struggle, we feel like we're struggling, as we're walking through life and going through the journey of life and dealing with trials and dealing with temptations and all that comes up on us sometimes. God's working in those things. He's working in those things. All right, let's go to this next part. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is his appeal 
earnestly beseeching them, earnestly delivering to them by God's mercy. Paul's like, it's like him saying, by what I think God's doing in your life. I believe God's doing something in your life, and so this is what I want to say. This is what's happening in you, and sometimes you can't, well, what's going on here, you know? What's happening in me? And he lets us know what it is. Haven't you ever heard or read through the scriptures and you see God saying something, you go, oh, I remember that was working in my heart. I remember this. And it's like testifying. It's like his word testifying with the spirit inside of you. Part of my testimony, you all, as a, as a teenager, is we di- I didn't grow up in church. I didn't go to church until I was 16 years old. And when I first heard the gospel, that's a long time ago, 40 years or so. When I first heard the gospel, as I remember, I received it right away. I mean, like, receive it like that. It was like this. It was like, oh, yes, that has to be the truth. Listen, I, I, like I said, I grew up, I didn't go to church. We didn't have one of those big family Bibles laying on the, on the coffee table, opened up to somewhere. We didn't have this. We, didn't, we, didn't, we weren't even like um, what uh, Western people call Easter lilies. You know, they go to church on Easter. They just come out once a year. We, I, we weren't even those kinds of people. My parents were like, okay, but we weren't. We, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. But years later, I would look back and think uh, and see how God was doing things in my heart, working a change in me, significant change. So when I heard the word for the first time, I thought, need that. That's, that's, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Now, I had a long way to go. If you would have known me as a 16-year-old, I had a long way to go. If you would have known me as a 40-year-old, I had a long way to go. And I can't talk about today yet. But I'm sure in the years ahead, I will look back and think, God's still taking me a long way. But Paul writes this so they can understand what's going on in their heart. And so the appeal was this. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. That's a complicated sentence, y'all. How do you put the word living right next to the word sacrifice and walk away understanding that? Present yourself a living sacrifice. Okay. You know what a sacrifice is? Let's just think about it for a second. It's like an all-in thing, all or nothing. When a little lamb was brought to the temple and offered as a sacrifice, it was done. The the, the lamb would, would, would be killed. And it would be over. It was, a, it was an all-in kind of thing. So in that same language, he's saying, present yourselves a living sacrifice. So the living part is, well, uh, we're alive in Christ. We're alive in Christ. 
How do those things fit together? I've been working on this and thinking this for a few weeks now, this specific thing, but only a week ago, I, I, got a, I had a, a Skype message, a nice Skype uh, date with my granddaughter, with my daughter, who was telling me about my granddaughter. Well, I'll be careful here because this is dangerous ground. Papa is talking about granddaughters, but it fits so well. She's five years old. Anyway, my daughter was telling me, Ruby is her name, my, my granddaughter. She's like, her, her sisters have all accepted Christ as their Savior and been baptized. And Ruby knows this, and she goes to church regularly, and she believes in God. And she's thinking about this baptism, so she has all these questions about being a Christian, being baptized. And my daughter is trying to explain it to her the best you can when you're five years old. But you know how much she's getting? She said this, she made this comment. Because my daughter said, you're going to be a new person. You're going to be a new person. And Ruby says, but I don't want to be a new person. I want to be Ruby. Wow. So, there's some things for her to learn to be sure. But she was getting the fact that she, this, was, this meant something vitally different and a huge change was coming. And she was, she was trying to sort that out. Now, I think as soon as she realizes her mom and dad are still going to call her Ruby, it's going to be okay. She knew something was different. Something was going to change. When Paul says, I beseech you, brothers, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, you are giving up everything about who you are. You're not taking any piece of your old life with you. Now, it takes time. You can't just hear that this morning for the first time and walk out of here saying, I got that. Maybe you can. Wow, that would be amazing. And God is just that powerful to do. But maybe he's been working it in you for a long time. But you and I can't be the same person that we were before. You can't present yourself a living sacrifice and say, Oh, I have one exception, God. I still want this in my life. I still need this piece to come with me. And then I'm all yours. That's not what he's saying. Now, why, what benefit is it to make the Romans aware of this? Because you know why? Like you and like me, there's a war going on in here. There's a battle going on in here. And you're trying to sort it out. And don't we often think in our life we begin to try to see the future? I think this is why sometimes people say, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. If I could know His will for my life, it would just be good. It would be just wonderful. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want that to be the case after today. I heard a church conference putting together statistics and they were putting this large three-weekend, three-day weekend conference together and it's going to have different sessions all going on, teaching the Word of God. And uh, they're trying to pick the right topics so that they can make sure the sessions fill up every day for, for the speaker to be able to minister to that uh, large number of people, to, to, to reach out to the needs of the people. And, and in this thing I read, it said that one sure way to fill up the conference room is to say, we're going to have a lesson on how, or a message on how you can know the will of God for your life. 
He says, every time we go to a conference and every time we do this, it fills up. Every time. People could have been in that same conference year after year and they still want to go. They want to know, what is the will of God for my life? I've been there. That's all right. Every time we see some change come up, I wonder what God's going to do. I wish God, if you could just tell me what. You know what? You're not looking for the will of God in your life when you do that. You're looking for comfort. You're looking for, you're just, you, you, you're, you're just, you want to know the future. So you can be comfortable in it and be prepared for it and this and this and this. Which is very different, you see, from, from what Paul says, present yourselves a living sacrifice. When you present yourself a living sacrifice, how does that look? You're dying to your old self and you're saying, God, I completely, fully trust in you. Without exception. It's not a bad way to think. You had to accept him completely because you know what? There's no righteousness in you, right? Paul said there's no righteousness in you. Jesus is your righteousness. He died on the cross for you so that he could give you his righteousness. Are you a righteous person? What would you say if someone asked you that? Are you righteous? Are you godly? Are you a holy person? Are you a holy woman? A holy man? A righteous brother and sister? And you, I am in Christ. His righteousness covers me. But myself? can't even rationalize with myself. He's an old man. I don't like him. I'm constantly saying to myself and the old man that's somewhere still here until I get into the kingdom and I never have to deal with him or argue with him again. I belong to God. Those are not my thoughts. That's not what I desire. And I'm trusting in my God. Holy completely trusting in my God. There's no piece of my life I want to hold on to. This is what Paul wants them to all understand. This is why we struggle sometimes. We want to know what God's will is. We want to know this. We want to know that. We want to know how it's going to be. You know, I don't mind serving God a little bit, but I do know it's just hard getting out of my comfort zone. Who came up with that word? I don't want to leave my comfort zone. I remember the first mission trip I went on. I think it was one of the first mission trips I went on. One of the guys had been before said, you're going to have to kind of step out of your comfort zone. I was like, I think that meant having a refrigerator right there. Cell phone with Pizza Hut speed dialed out. I don't know what it meant, but I don't like it anymore. I don't like it because what it is is, is that I don't, I don't want to be at the disposal of God and not know what's going to happen. I want to be back where I can anticipate life and be in control of life. That's what comfort zone is, is being in control. It's not what it's saying here. Are you willing to give up your life to Christ? Be a living sacrifice to Him? It's all in. It's all in. So maybe your question could, would be, <clears throat> well, saying... Brother Tim, is that your life? Are you all in? Working on it. I mean, I'm not working on it. My bad. I'm not working on it. 
The Spirit of God is working on it in my life. And when I see myself, my old self, I defer to the comfort, my new comfort zone. How's that, okay? A new comfort zone. I'm in Christ. I am so glad to be owned by a sovereign Lord. I am so thankful that he loves me, that he is merciful to me. happy with that, not knowing the future, especially in this country, right? How many times do you get asked in a year, how long are you going to stay? How long are you going to be here? I don't know until God calls me home. He gave me a two-month two notice to come here. Seriously, two-month notice to come here, so I don't know. How long? Does it matter to me anymore? I go where God wants me to go. This is what matters is, is that we consign ourselves 100% over to God. Now, moving on, look what he says next. <clears throat> Present your bodies, living sacrifice, <clears throat> and then the next, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. My version that I read from for so many years, right there where it says spiritual worship, said, which is your reasonable, help me out, King James 2, this your reasonable service, your reasonable service. I go, oh, wow, uh, I really like the ESV, but I'm like not making a connection between reasonable, which is in the Greek logikos, logical, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but that's okay. I'm just a little bit of a language person. Logos is word, which has something to do with logic. And the spirit, spiritual is a breath. It's the breath of God. The spirit of God is God. So maybe there's a pretty good connection there. Maybe I like this as well which is your spiritual worship. My heart and my mind were drawn to this, these two words, which is your holy and which present yourselves, i got to read it as a full sentence, <clears throat> present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And I kept thinking about that and trying to figure out what is that, what is he saying to, to me when, when I read this? What was he saying to the Romans? What's he saying to me as a believer? saying this, not that you need to make some effort to make yourself presentable, okay? We, we're kind of used to that in the world. My father would not let us boys come to the table unless we were presentable. That was what we would use that word. We, <clears throat> we'd come straight in outside from playing, and in our day, we didn't wear a shirt for any reason except for no reason. And uh, my father said, put a shirt on when you come to the table. You've got to be presentable, acceptable. Not acceptable. Okay, all right. So it was something I could do, right? This is different, similar, but different. Present yourselves a, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. 
this is all that's acceptable to God. This is the only thing that's acceptable to God is for his for those who desire him to come and present themselves as a living sacrifice. This is all that was allowed. Less than this, Jesus was careful to make it clear. Remember the rich man? He came and he wanted eternal life. And Jesus spoke with him and loved him. Mark says Jesus loved him. He spoke with him a while and and he wasn't willing to go and sell everything he had. He wasn't willing to do that. And the Bible says, the story account says that he walked and went away sad. And Jesus loved him. But effectively, he didn't want to present himself as a living sacrifice. He wasn't ready to consign his life and his joy and his happiness and his wife and his, for us, our wives, our children. Husbands, are you willing to give it all and say this is yours? Holy, consigned to God, this is the only acceptable way. Today, churches, oh my gosh, you want to be careful when you say things about churches because this is God's church. It's not mine, it's not yours, this is God's church. Let me tell you something. There was an age in church as a 16-year-old. My mind is, I, I was hearing the stories that your children are hearing from three years up, I'm hearing them for the first time, okay? So I was really new to all of this kind of thing. But I would listen because it was new. And I got to tell you, my confession is, as a 16-year-old, the way I would hear it, too often, with too much emphasis, if my hair was short, and I didn't listen to rock and roll music, and I came to church three days a week, you couldn't do more. I mean, I seriously, you couldn't do more than that. That was like almost better than presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Wow. You know, which gave me this sense that I was, you know, no. <clears throat> I honestly feel like I, tr- I had this attitude, unvoiced, but I had this attitude as a, as a young believer. Well, God's got me now, and he's got a really good thing. That's what I thought. Looking back, I think I felt that way. He got something really good, only to find out later that he was going to show me through much difficulty and through, and through many years what grace and love and mercy really mean. You see, for a long time, I learned how to talk about grace, and I learned how to talk mercy of the mercy of God, but I... Sorry to say, as an early believer, are you with me? As an early believer, don't know if I needed it. Ooh, can that happen? I don't know. But God would take me down a road and show me. And now I know what grace is. And I know his mercy. And I know his love. I know his claim on my life. So don't think for one minute there is a piece of my life that I want to hang on to. I don't want any part of it anymore. I just want to be under the sovereign care of God. And when something happens in my life, whatever way it looks, however the storm can rage, as long as it doesn't affect me and God talking, I'm okay. I'm okay hard. It's hard. I know some of you can sit there. I, I know it's hard. 
I expect it to be hard for me in the future, maybe this afternoon. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard sometimes when life does all that it does to us to say, can I be that way with all the responsibilities that I have? Can I just completely put myself in the arms of God? Can I take on the yoke of Christ and put it around my neck and go with him? Is that really going to work? Try it and see. Try it. And it will work. Promise you. I promise you on his word, not me. This says absolutely it will. Absolutely. So he says this. As we wrap up. Be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Don't be conformed to this world, but be changed, be transformed. Brothers and sisters, that's a life work. I wish they could be fast. I'm like you, I think, but I wish they could be faster. But it's a life work that God does in us. And he says, by testing it. You know what that says to me? Because <clears throat> I'm like you. I would like if I could just be given and handed a list. And on that list would be these things. Don't think that way anymore. Think this way. Not this, this, not this, this. <clears throat> sort it all out. But that's not our father. And that's not the way he loves us. You know how amazing about the way the father loves us? is that he looks for signs. Isn't it like being a parent, right? Wasn't your first greatest joy in being a parent is when all those many times you said to your little one, I love you, and you would give them kisses. You know, I always thought my son was kissed more than any baby in the world, right? But when they tell you they love you, that's amazing. When they wrap their arms around your neck and they love you. They miss you. That's amazing. God doesn't take that away from us. He wants us to work through this. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Literally bring everything, everything to the test. Don't trust. You're, you're, you, you and I have. We can't, we, we're part of a new culture. We can't go backwards. We can't live in this old culture. Moses and I have talked, our, one of our church uh, missionaries that we support, uh, and we've talked long about this, the culture of the kingdom of God, because he he, he's in his culture, and he works against the cultural background of his Indian brothers and sisters that he's sharing the gospel with. And I said, Moses, it's the same thing in the United States churches. People want to bring in pieces of their culture. You know what? We, this is our culture. We're changing to it. It's a kingdom culture. And, and this is the, the test by which we bring everything before. God, I want to please you. I want to love you. That's loving God. When you bring something before him and say, Lord, I want to do this for you. And I want to do it right. And I want to glorify you. I don't want acknowledgement. I don't want to be lifted up. 
I want Jesus to increase and I want myself to decrease. I love the Apostle John for teaching us how to say that. He must increase and I must decrease, not the Apostle, but John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. We have to have that with us. As John Piper gives us these words from the scripture, he just pulls all these scriptures together and says, Christ is most satisfied with us when we're most satisfied with him. That's not a new concept. That's what it's like being a parent when loving your children, having your children love you. That's what it's like. This is a glorious thing. This is a glorious thing. I don't know <clears throat> where this journey finds you this morning because we're all different. We're on a journey, and it's a good thing. It's okay. We have a lot to learn. We need to love each other, lift each other up, pray for each other, have the right expectations for each other because you know our old person is a mess. And we're, we're in the process of learning which to, what to let go of and, and what to sacrifice and give to God. It's not a one moment in time thing we can do. It just takes time to do this and let it, it work in you. This is what he was telling the Romans. Let this, this is what's going on in you. If you've ever felt something and you're frustrated and you're like, what's going on here? Can it just get straightened out? Can it just be a smooth road for a while? And you're going through the battle of learning to love your father and learning to rest in him and take his yoke upon you. And these are good things. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word and for truth. And Lord, I pray for your spirit to take these words deep into our hearts and speak to us where we are in life and where we are at in our journey. Lord, we want to be a new creature, a new creation. We want you to be the Lord of our life. And Father, we have nothing meritorious to bring to you in, by which we could say, Lord, if I do this, will you accept me? We have none of that. We go before you because you've been merciful and kind to us. We need you, Father. You are great and wonderful and good father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Father, for the amazing, divine way you work in our lives. We ask this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.